or no, this is your last chance. No beating around the bush. Perhaps I was talking when I should have been listening. This is the Redefined Relentless Podcast. Before we get into this podcast episode, I just wanted to say I would greatly appreciate if you leave a review on this podcast and as well as turn your bell notifications on so whenever I drop a podcast episode in the future, you know exactly when it comes out. Thank you and enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome back to Redefine Relentless. Today, we're going to be talking about inclusion, diversity, and quality. And today's guest we have is Dr. Starr. Dr. Starr, thanks for coming on uh, the podcast today. Before we get into a background, uh, she's had a the inclusion and diversity, she, uh, a lot of the, the background. She's a psychologist, strategist, and speaker. She was one of the first people, actually, correct me if I'm wrong, the first person? I am the first person in the United States, yes. To receive a PhD in inclusion, uh, diversity, and equality. Um, Dr. Starr, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Um, could you give a little brief background to the audience? Sure, Hunter. Thanks first for having me. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Uh, background. So I work with organizations. I look at organizations through the lens of inclusion. My goal right now is really to level set what diversity, equity, and inclusion means. Because let's be honest, Hunter, right now, everybody's using those terms interchangeably and they're throwing out whatever definition fits their workplace culture. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just not how it works. That's just not how it works. I mean, I've heard belonging now uh, is the next catchphrase. We want a workplace that belongs. And, you know, I always push back and say, I, I belong to my family. Can't get rid of them. I don't want to belong to my workplace. I want a mm -hmm. sense of belonging, but I don't want to belong to them, nor do mm -hmm. they belong to me. So, yeah, so I'm really focused in on just level setting. Um, and I think my journey into DEI um really goes back to my time in the military. So I served 10 years in the army as a trauma medic. And really that was forced inclusion. It really didn't matter who was next to you as long as they had your back. And if you couldn't trust the person next to you, you could be dead. Yeah. Right? Like, like the stakes don't get any more um, intense than that. Um, so in, in the military, yeah, it, it was very forced inclusion where we all learned to work as a team. And then coming out of the army, um, going into the workforce, I right, that was really my first foray into seeing diversity as more of that us versus them. Mm -hmm. and how organizations were looking at diversity. And whether you're an entrepreneur um, or you're just going into the workplace or you're working for an organization, you know, I can't say it loud enough. You have to build that culture of inclusion first and foremost if you want to attract any talent that's solid talent that's going to stick around. Awesome. Thanks for that introduction. Um, getting right into it, what do you think in simple terms? Because I feel like, you know, everyone can have their own definition and any word that they come across. What does it mean to you for someone to have uh, a workplace or um, really just an overall environment to be diverse, be have inclusion and equality involved in that workplace? Yeah. So I, I'm very evidence-based hunter. Everything, every initiative that I work on or I recommend has data that backs it up. So for your audience, let's let us level set 
this is what diversity, inclusion, and equity means. So diversity um, simply is the unique affinities we all have that make us who we are. That's it. Mm -hmm. the, the, like, the goal of diversity is perspective of thought, right? Diverse perspectives of thought or lived experiences, what we bring to the table. That's the goal. Um, from that diversity definition in the workplace, diversity is just buckets we can put employees in by affinities, male, female, um, right? Black, white, Asian, which I still scratch my head going, we've got color, color, ethnicity, um, it, right? To level set race, we are all the human race. We are all one one race. There's There's not another one. We are 98% more alike than anything else. So spinning our wheels and focusing on driving diversity in the workplace, what, what organizations are trying to do is to hire diverse talent so that they can share their different perspectives and thoughts um, and, and help problem solve and product line. I, I like to think of it as, um, you know, if we take a lipstick company, and we think back, um, right back in the 60s, lipstick was two different colors. And I know your your viewers can't see me right now, but I have a very bright lipstick on right now. Um, two different colors. And it was like that soft pink and then that red. And that I'm sure your viewers get the red I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, that was it. Um, until the makeup industry started bringing women in. And when they brought women in, they improved diversity. However, the companies that really thrived were inclusive. So here's what inclusion means. It's having a seat at the table. It's feeling like you belong there, right? There's that sense of belonging, not belonging, but that sense of belonging that you can bring your whole self to work. So imagine in the late 60s, women were entering the workforce here and there. And now we have some educated women that are becoming part of R&D for makeup companies. Now, the inclusive organizations like Maybelline and CoverGirl took advantage of that. They started asking the women at the table, well, what do you like about lipstick? What colors do you like? Where can we improve? And the women, women, we're the ones that wear lipstick. We're going to know what we like. And hence now you look at CoverGirl, you look at Maybelline, you look at any company out there, lipstick is their number one seller in cosmetics, right? And that's because organizations were inclusive and were adding value, right? They, they were hearing what their employees were saying and then took action on it. So that's equity, very different than diversity. And here's the kicker. All the studies out there that talk about benefits with diversity truly aren't benefits of diversity studies. They are inclusion studies. All those studies that say, well, if you have diversity, we see increased productivity, we see increased conflict management, we see innovation, we see um, profits, go through the roof. We see increased productivity. I have to say, you know, stop that flipping insanity. No, 
It's not diversity that does that. It's inclusion that does that. And diversity, when you have an inclusive organization and diversity, it pushes those numbers over the top. But if you just had diversity and no inclusion, you got nothing. All you have is diversity. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and that's why I think you put it in such simple terms, because like there can be like people can break it down and it can be harder to understand. And mm -hmm. that was super simple, uh, a breakdown of like what it is. And it's very interesting um, going back to what you just said was like uh, people say like diversity um, studies and you're like, no, it's inclusion and here's mm -hmm. why. Um, and I, I really think that's, that's interesting. Uh, another thing I'm interested about is how you got into this. Um, how did your background shape you to become what you are today? Yeah, I think, right. Well, like I said, I go back to, right. Uh, your audience can't see me, but I'm white. I'm a white female. Um, I identify or my preferred pronoun, my pronouns are she and her, um, and I look back at my workplace history and the military and that forced inclusion really did shape how I saw the world. So then I come out, finish my education, come out of the military, start my first job, and I lasted a year because it was us versus them, right? It was male versus female. I remember sitting at a table uh, during training. So I went into pharmaceutical sales coming out with my strong background in medical and sitting across the table from a gentleman and we were talking salaries and he was making 10 grand more than me. Yet I have the experience. I have the medical experience. He didn't have any medical experience. And I looked at him, I go, what the hell? How are you making 10 grand more than me? Like, I, I mean, dude, you're, yeah, really? And he said, well, I asked for it. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I, I asked for it. What do you mean you asked for it? Right? There's a different skill set we learned growing up, right? Men are taught negotiations, women aren't. Um, so that was very eye-opening. So I stayed with that company for a year, went to another company, um, and, and really saw this whole inclusive culture, but yet we're still focusing on diversity. And I really struggled with it. I, I really had a hard time wrapping my arms around it, Hunter, because I'm like, it's really not that flipping hard. But yet, right, if I have to go to another diversity training, I'm going to throw up. And it's not making life any easier. Uh, from there, I started my own consulting firm when I had kids. And it, believe it or not, it was my executive leaderships, my executive coaching clients. They're like, you have got to, you have got to nail the DEI space because you have no problem speaking up. You right? I, I yes, I am the woman that says, if you think you have a glass ceiling, is it a scapegoat or is it real? Get out of the company. If you can't change it, get out, but don't complain about it. So, you know, really it was it was from my executive uh, clients that were like, you've got to get into DE&I. This is where you need to focus. And that goes back to, gosh, 2005. And then I started wow. right then. For me, it was all about getting that education. Okay, let me get my master's in uh, organizational development. And then from there, I wanted my PhD and I'm still studying, right? I have my PhD now, my PhD now and now I'm looking at racial relationships. 
and, and taking courses through Harvard on that to better understand. And I think that's, that's really that sweet spot, understanding why it's so important. And, you know, if, if one more person throws Maslow's hierarchy of need at me, I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to lose my, my stuff. Um, so it, it's been a long journey to get here, but I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. That's awesome. And it, yeah. it's really, um, there was a, a story, it's of the, have you heard of the bricklayers? Um, the story of the three bricklayers, mm -hmm. like how, like the, the, someone has a job, someone has a career and then someone has a calling because he, he, there yeah. was the perspective in which their journey, which they thought in their head, they really are. It's really cool to, to see and see how passionate about this you are. Um, and that you have this calling and that you're going after, and you have this sense of continued learning that you're never going to stop learning. And you're always trying to mm -hmm. get better. And you're always going to help teach people and bring a different perspective to the table um, and, and educate people that, you know, don't know a whole lot about it. Um, and that's why I really appreciate you coming on yeah. the the podcast today. Um, through, through this journey that you've had, um, and, and you seeing it early in your after you got out of the military and early in when you started, um, you know, getting back into the the workforce was um, what was one of the most challenging parts of this calling that you've had um, from, um, you know, this whole journey from when you started in the military all the way till now? What was one of the most challenging or if it's a couple things? I know it's probably mm -hmm. hard to pick exactly one. Um, there probably is a couple, but what is one big challenge you had um, through DEI, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think when we, I think the biggest challenge I faced, um, and and I still somewhat face it. It's it's separating out racism from workplace DEI, and you know I'm constantly hit with you don't understand because you're white. Right. How can you be doing DEI? You're white. And I'm like, whoa, 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 take a step back. DEI is so much more than color. Um, so that is something that I find that, you know, I'd love to say that I've completely overcome it. Hunter, I haven't because I get hit with that all the time. Um, all the time where I'm getting asked, we want rate, you know, we want uh, anti race training. And I'm like, that, that, not in the workplace, you don't. Like, there's social construct. And then there's workplace DEI. And you know, when you have an organization that's kicking it in inclusion and corporate social responsibility or ESGs and is rolling out and trickling into the community, then we see the impact in the community. But really, I think, yeah, I sometimes I wonder if you know organizations just don't understand that a lot of the socioeconomics in life drive that equity needle so you know right now i i think and i and i can see this coming because the next hurdle that i'll have to overcome hunter is equity versus equality in the workplace it'll be interesting i'm doing a lot of research there um, but yeah, and, and over, you know, it's just being open and hearing what other people have to say and then putting it in boxes so that I can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, very interesting. Cause like way, 
I guess my high school mindset, like when I heard of DE and I, I, I honestly associated it with, um, I was, uh, what is uh, the economics term, uh, irrationally ignorant uh, to the fact I just didn't know. I mm-hmm. could have looked it up. I just didn't know. And I always thought it was just the association of race, um, DE and I. And then, like you said, it's just so much more than that. Um, that's that's behind DE and I. Uh, and I think a lot of people have the the general, um, a decent amount have the general mindset that it's, it deals um, a big portion of it. Sure, is race, but it's not the entire whole pie of um, DE and I. Um, yeah, race is only a slice. Remember, there's only one race. It's the human race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, ethnicity is only one slice of that pie. It's only one slice. We've got disabilities. We have veteran status. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, we right. There's so many other slices of affinity that go into who a person is. Yeah. And a lot of people are quick. To jump, I just saw that it's so funny you said you mentioned your high school. So I have twin girls that are in high school. They're seniors this year. And they had a really, really tight friend group up until junior year. And that friend group, we, you know, my husband and I would joke around and call it the United Nations of their high school because they were the white girls in the friend group. Um, the rest were Asian, um, Middle Eastern, African American. Um, And all was well and fine until junior year when external political forces now started coming into the school and the school starts this whole banter around we want more diversity in our teachers and the messaging got so skewed that that friend group disbanded because now all of a sudden right there there's comments about privilege well you know i you know you're so lucky you're white you're privileged and you know my daughters would look at their friends and be like what are you talking about like we all live in the same neighborhood right from that wealth like there's no wealth gap here and yeah it was it was really interesting to see how confusing society sees de and i it it destroyed a friend group they are no longer friends Wow. Which is really um, unfortunate. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's that's um that's a, a, an interesting perspective from well, not perspective, a, a situation yeah. and the outcome that that came out of it. Um through through all this, maybe even just in that situation, what what is one of I guess I guess in your just general studies, what is one of the most significant things that you've come across uh, in this learning journey of yours, um, whether it be a startling statistic or an experience, a situation? What is something that was a really significant learning that you came across? You know, I can't change you, Hunter. I can't change you. You have to want to change yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a huge learning point because when it comes to DEI and we utilize those lenses in the workplace in in hiring right attraction retention when we look at all of that the only person that can do anything about it is that one person i can't change everybody else around me um and it it took me a bit to wrap my arms around that uh because you know here i'm thinking like leadership training i would just go into companies and it would be down and dirty, quick and easy. Here's the training class and you're done. And DEI is so not that. You know, it takes every individual to shift their mindset to inclusion and acceptance. 
And that's hard. Shifting your mindset, you know, I, I encourage your your audience, all your listeners, start shifting your mindset to see or or see the world through the eyes of a five-year-old, right? That curiosity and acceptance rather than rather than focusing on the differences. See the similarities. And Absolutely. then learn the differences between you and another individual, and then see how those differences help you along and vice versa. So, but it takes, it, it takes that one person. Yeah, wow. I, I really like that. And, and it, it goes back to what you were saying to remember that there's only one race, the human race. And that's a common thing that we, I mean, we're all human. That's a first and foremost starter. We're all human and yeah. we are 98% alike. That means we're 2% not alike. So wow. 2% in the DNA strands that would, uh, right, change my eye colors from blue, right? I have blue eyes, blonde hair, white skin versus someone else who has brown hair, brown eyes, brown skin, um, right? Male, female, that 2% are all your affinities, your, your, right, your cognitive strength, your thinking style, your personality is part of that 2%. Wow. So, you know, at the end of the day, again, we are so much more alike than than different. And organizations, they're not doing it right. You know, Corn Ferry just came out with a paper that showed that 18% of organizations are actually doing solid inclusion work. The rest are not. That's wow. a low number. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I mean that we too, you know, I, I think about all the talking points out there. The U.S. spends on average annually $8 billion in diversity training, and it shows zero return on investment. $8 wow. billion dollars annually. I'm like, you know what? Just write me a check. Send it to me. You're going to get the same, you write me, like I won't do anything and you'll have the same result. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. That's really crazy. So, so through this, what do you think um, is a bigger solution to this? And maybe you're still figuring out what do you think? Um, and I think it goes back to what you were saying. It's it, you can't change who everyone is, no. um, but you can change. But you can start somewhere, whether it be their perspective or whatever. But um, what, what's your thoughts on the solution to this? Um, this bigger problem that we're having. Yeah, I think we all just need, I really do. I think we need to listen to each other, um, be open to learn about each other. We are so not there. Um, that right, it, that's the big solution that we're accepting of everyone around us. And at the end of the day, you know, I tell my kids, I tell my kids all the time, you know what, you can't fix stupid. So when you come across someone that clearly cannot critically think, that believes whatever they, whatever propaganda they're believing, don't make it your problem. Walk away. Don't make it your problem because you cannot fix that. That's an individual who does not want to change. And you know, I think that's so hard for some of us, like, and that even me growing up and uh, it's just like to talk to someone and 
uh, it, it doesn't even have to be in DEI. It could be, you know, po- politics or something yeah. else. And it's like super hard to sometimes that you just have to leave the conversation. You can't change anything about that. No, no. And we are, we really are Hunter living in a polarized society. Um, I was, I mean, I'll say it. I was fortunate growing up in like the seventies and eighties. Um, we weren't as polarized um, as right. The United States wasn't as polarized. Um in the last, really in the last 10 years, we've seen this polarization. And when polarization happens, it means no matter what I say to you, you are never going to believe me, right? You, you end up, right? When we think about conflict management, um, and that's that's where we're going with this, um, when we get to the level, level of polarization, there's no more resolving the conflict. You have to just manage the conflict because the person sinks so deeply into their beliefs that they don't want to be wrong, even though they may, even though they may agree with you, Mm -hmm. they, they get locked in. We're seeing this in the political scheme right now. You know, look at, look at politics, politics. Yeah. We are a polarized nation. And what happens when we have a polarized nation? It's not good. Because it's like, I like to think of, I I look at the United States right now and I'm like, we're like a bottle of champagne and somebody just keeps shaking us up and it's going to explode one of these days. You know, people are going to say enough is enough. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like, um, yeah, politics and like just overall, uh, it it, it seems like we spread further and further apart from each other in Mm -hmm. the... Uh, and the similarities that we have. And like you said, which I didn't even know, 90, 98% of like us are, are, are similar. That just blows my mind Um, that we're, we're so similar yet in our perspectives, in our minds, we can be so different Um, Mm -hmm. in, in the way we, you know, just everything, all the above. Um, What do you hope to accomplish in your, um, through your higher studies or, um, you know, through your trainings, whatever it may be, if if you have one big goal that you have, what do you think, um, or you know what that goal is? Yeah. Um, what is that? My one goal is for organizations to stop focusing on diversity and really focus in on inclusion. Build that inclusive organizational culture because that will attract your diverse talent, your, your top tier diverse talent, and it will keep them and it will trickle out into the community. So, you know, that, that is a goal I have right now is let's stop focusing on diversity. Let's, you know, diversity is a dirty word as far as I'm concerned. Let's stop focusing on it. It will happen. It will happen if you have an inclusive organizational culture. You will attract the best of the best and the most diverse talent because that your your diversity element, your diverse employees want to work for an organization that hear them, see them, and appreciate what they bring to the table. So wow. that's my big that's my big goal right now. Yeah. So if you were to if um a company was to come to you and was like, um, Dr. Star, we'd love for you to come in. It, so you're doing 
Um, wh what's the first thing you you tell people when in your goal to um, be focusing on this inclusion and then mm -hmm. having the diverse uh, perspectives come in or diversity come in after you've focused on inclusion? What's the first thing in inclusion you try to focus on? Um, the first thing, well, the first thing I try to focus in on really is that business case of inclusion, why it's so important, and then checking out to see where the organization is in that inclusion journey or the maturity of inclusion. I usually start right off with retention data, sick time data, you know, are your employees calling out sick, um, you know, how is the overall health of your organization? How is the mental health of the organization? Um, and what's your turnover look like? Because that's really going to give me a good idea as to how inclusive your organization is. So much more than a survey. Mm -hmm. So much more than a survey. Um, and then from there, building that, right? Then once we see where you're at, then we start building that inclusion. When I get asked that, when I get asked... Um, we want more diversity. So we're going to, you know, we'd like to bring you in or we'd like you to share with us how to become more diverse. I always ask them why. Why do you want to be diverse? And it is amazing how that stumps the majority of business leaders that they sit back and they're like, well, we want to be diverse because we know there's more, pro more productivity. Nope, that's not diversity. That's inclusion. You know, I go through all those sets um, and nine times out of 10, the organization is pretty diverse to begin with when they look at all of the affinities instead of just gender or color. And, and I think, you know, Hunter, I think we have to recognize that there are some areas in this country where it's going to be really hard to have high level of ethnicity diversity mm -hmm. if if the population's not there in New Hampshire, we have low diversity in New Hampshire from from a candidate standpoint. Um, we have more women entrepreneurs, so we're leading in that bucket. But when we look at you know Latinos and Hispanics, Black and African American, we're not seeing those numbers because they don't live here. Well, you know, I, you can't you know you you can't beat a rock for not having those affinities but yet you know people we got to be more diverse i'm like well you know look at look at your veteran status or your you know sexual orientation gender identity look at all of that and factor that into your diversity lens and could we for the audience break down the infinities just real quick um like what i guess not all of them but like you know the major because i think that could be a really good question that some people might have on their heads and they have no idea yeah, you know, um, the Society of Human Resource Management and in my book, so I do have a book out, um, it's called Evidence-Based Inclusion. It's time to focus on the right needle. And in there is um, the iceberg exercise. And that talks about, um, that, that really does talk about the different affinities. Now, if any of your audience members have ever done some scuba diving around icebergs, they would agree that the above water line really is like 10% of the beauty of an iceberg. They're white, they're snowy, and they're flipping cold. It's not until you've got that wetsuit on and you're underneath that you start seeing all the different affinities, such as, you know, the percent, when we look at um, levels of salt in the water, 
the, the higher the level of salt, the, the more buoyant that iceberg becomes. Um, it also attracts different fish. And the deeper you go, the water gets colder and light reflects it reflects a different way. So we think about affinities. Above the line would be your your ethnicity. Um, and and right, and even that I go, ah, like, can you guess what my ethnicity is? I Hunter, I have no idea what your ethnicity is. We're looking at, I have no idea, mm -hmm. right? But ethnicity is on the top, body size, uh, gender, for the most part, um, although gender identity is now starting to fall underneath that line, um, we're looking at, um, you know, the, the visual, what you see, eye color, hair color. Underneath the line, we're looking at socioeconomic status, education level, um, thought process, veteran status, disability, sexual orientation, uh, marital status, family status, all of that changes our perspective, right? And all of that shapes our perspective. Um, in the workplace, we have those eight protected classes. Um, and that's right now, again, I don't believe in race, so we'll take that one out. Uh, but there's ethnicity, mm -hmm. there's um, there's, let's see, disability, ethnicity, veteran status, gender, uh, religion, sexual orientation. I said gender identity already. Those are the pretty big ones. What am I missing? What am I missing? Well, they say color and I don't do the color thing mm -hmm. um, because I think it's more ethnicity. So those are the big, those are the big buckets. But I want your listeners to recognize that what you see of an individual is only 10% of their beauty, only 10% of what makes them unique. It's the other 90%. And it's up to each and every one of us to engage with that curiosity of a five-year-old and, and really see the beauty, the rich beauty that's there in every individual you meet, regardless of their ethnicity, right? That's just one, like I said, one slice of the pie. Gender is another slice of the pie. But if you want the whole pie, it's everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's everything. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, and, and through this conversation, what's what's one thing or multiple things you think from this podcast episode and um, in your book, um, that I'll, I'll put in the description for everyone that's listening. You can just take a link and it'll take you right to the book. What is some something that someone should really, what's a key takeaway they should take away from um, either you, your book or just your, um, and your learnings in DE&I? Um, what, what are the, what's a key takeaway you think? Yeah, that key takeaway uh, again is that it, if you're building a business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're right in the workplace, it takes one, right? It starts with one person to build inclusion. And if you don't have that inclusive culture right now, it really is up to you to change that. It's up to you to change it. And at this point, the world is, you know, the from an employment lens the world is our oyster right now you know thanks to covid we're seeing remote working going through the roof you can work pretty much anywhere so if if you're 
going into your workplace and you're struggling and you're not able to be who you are, if you don't feel valued, um, if your thoughts and ideas are flushed down the toilet, then maybe it's time, right? If you can't change that, if the organization doesn't want to change that, then it might be time to find another organization to work for that has it. Wow. That's, that's um, really good. And just going even back um, to like just being more, I, I, th I think it's interesting because even I have had the mindset that like it's diversity you want and then, and then being taught differently that it's inclusion and to mm -hmm. focus more on the inclusion um, than to focus on the diversity because the diversity comes after the inclusion has been opened up. That's something that I've, I've definitely taken away. Um, that's, that's definitely, I mean, cause yeah, like I said, like, it's just like, I've been taught to yeah. it's diversity, it's diversity that it's not diversity, it's inclusion organizations, companies that have a, that have, um, or that look at business from the diversity lens, end up creating a workforce where it's us versus them, right? It's, it's we want X percentage of women in a leadership role that now you've created an us versus them, right? Because you've yeah. singled out one affinity. You, wow. we're no longer, right? It's no longer equality here. Now we're focusing on, on affinity. And I'm not saying that, we don't want to see more diversity in the upper levels. We certainly do. But if you don't have that inclusionary component, then you do create that us versus them. And it taints our, right, for any of your listeners that have um, minority affinities, you don't want that, right? You don't want that getting promoted because of your skin color, your ethnicity, your gender. Um, because you lose some credibility there. You lose, right? There's That's where that tokenism comes in. And that's a lousy spot to be in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, promote me because I'm really good, not because I'm a woman. Yeah, absolutely. It, my my um, economics professor, Dr. Snow, he... Um, brought in uh, to the fact of anyone well doesn't hire someone because of you know whatever it whatever it is in DEI um he, he said how big of a loss from an economic standpoint it is because they hire someone that isn't as bright or smart that'd be well more fitted into that position because of the the person that was hiring beliefs and what you know whatever it was um that they had to hire um, within that perspective that they didn't become inclusive and, mm -hmm. and from that perspective they they lose value from someone else because and they lose in the workforce someone that would have could have brought more ideas could have brought mm -hmm. that was more appropriate of a fit than if they closed the door and made it kind of like a bottleneck only so many mm -hmm. you know a certain person can get through is what we're looking for um it, it because of um they they decided to go with uh, again, whatever it so it may may have been. I thought that, that was one of the most interesting conversations I had with my um, professor, Dr. Snow, and it like just opened my eyes. I'm like, it's it's not yes, of course, employees, but it's uh, really the 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 employers that are losing out, and they have no idea that there's if once you become an open door and more inclusive that you yeah. Um, and I didn't really think of it. I thought of it as diverse. 
diversity, but it was more like you said, inclusion, which I learned. Yeah. He's um, talking about inclusion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that blew my mind that it kind of just clicked right now. I'm like, that was inclusion. He was talking about once you become more, once you have more inclusion, you economically gain more because you have different Absolutely. leveraging perspectives. And that's what all the studies are showing us. So it's not even, you know, at like, uh, well, we think, we don't think, we know when there is a great, when there's an inclusive organization, all of the, all of the diversity studies, the selection criteria to be in that study, they had to have an inclusive organizational culture. Mm. Okay, then then in those diversity studies, really, right, all you're measuring is how many Blacks, how many, you know, Hispanics and Latinos. And, but if you've got that inclusion there, you don't have that revolving door. You don't have employees coming in, staying for six months and then leaving. And keep in mind that the average cost to replace an entry-level employee, so we're talking somebody with a uh, bachelor's degree, entry-level, depending on the industry, can run you anywhere from a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars just to replace an employee. It's a wow. lot of a money. Lot of money. I worked with an organization. I, I worked with an organization that um, they were a sales company looking and hiring um, basically physician subs, right? So hospitals would say, "We have, you know, we're down four physicians," and this company would go in and give them four physicians to work. So. Um, but they had their turnover rate was 48%. Every day, somebody was getting fired or quitting. And their chief financial officer was like, well, but we're still making millions. And I'm like, but yeah, but you could be making so much more because it costs you $149,000 to replace every employee. You times that time, you know, you times that by 48% of your workforce. It's a pretty hefty number that you're losing. Yeah. We don't think that way. Right. I, I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a shift in the value of our employees, right? We, back in the eighties and nineties, right. We, we were capital expense. That's what your employees are is capital expense. And we, we've kind of shifted and we, we don't like to say that, but that's what we are as employees. And, and that's just to replace them. That's not even the lost ideas or perspectives or, yeah. Wow. And, and what does, um, out of curiosity, what makes up that hundred to $200,000 to replace that entry level person with that? Sure. So you've got productivity loss. You've got training. So everything that's been done for that person training wise to get them all, uh, to get them up and running. Then you're looking at recruiter fees, right? I mean, when we look at talent acquisition in an organization that's doing all the recruitment, those are considered billable hours that, you know, that we're spending our time looking for new employees. And, and the more strategic or the more higher level STEM that role is. So if we have an engineering student coming out and only staying with the company for seven months, they take all that knowledge and they bring it to the next company if you're not inclusive. So that's those are where those numbers are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, before we 
come to the end of the podcast episode. I'm curious, do you have any, um, obviously your book, I'll keep that in the, uh, the, the description uh, of the podcast. So all the people that are listening can check out the book, but do you have any, maybe some books that you've come across or podcasts for that, um, anything that you've come across that's really good and you think people should read? It doesn't even have to be DE and I, this is a, just a general question that I ask yeah. every guest that I have on the, the podcast. Um, I would say I, right now I just finished a place called home by David and Braz and Brazzy. Um, and it was, it's a memoir and it's very impactful about a, uh, a young man who is gay, but is in the foster care system and what happens to this young man through, you know, through his adolescence and high school years until he can really find himself. Um, I, those are the books that I typically tend to go to. Mm -hmm. um, I let my inner geek fly when it comes to my books. Um, the other one is Unbias or The End of Biases. Great book. Great. But it's going to be filled with a lot of stats and whatnot. So you've got given you a memoir, which is lighter. Mm -hmm. And then The End of Bias, uh, which is real. It's a great book and it's just full of stats and yeah. I'm a stats person, so I'll definitely look into right, that like, book. I love that. Stats. Yeah. And then of course my book, you know, evidence-based inclusion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, any last words of wisdom for the audience? Again, look at the world with wonder of a five-year-old. We are such busy, busy, busy. Go, go, go. Even in college, right? You're going from one class to the other. Stop. Look around you notice the differences there's nothing wrong with noticing the differences between you know people yeah and get curious get curious right we've got this world wide web that we can find anything and everything out about um you know find a a, a facet and uh, i'm a foodie i love food so for me it's all about ethnic you know ethnic food Mm -hmm. and and you know I have one child uh, my daughter one daughter who's into music so she's into all the different ethnic musics and then another one who's into art and she looks at the artist like find something that you're doing um that that interests you and then broaden it you know I like to say that I, you know my goal is to drink as much wine from different countries as possible <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming on um, Redefine Relentless. I really appreciate it. Um, and for, I think even me, um, and, and I know a lot of other people have pulled a lot um, from this. The, the key takeaway that I've gotten is it's not diversity, it's inclusion and diversity comes with inclusion after mm -hmm. achieved, which I'm, which really opened my perspective uh, to that. So again, I appreciate all the advice you coming on, uh, the show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, uh, Dr. Starr's, uh, book will be in the description so you all can check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Hunter. I appreciate it. This Absolutely. This has been the Redefine Relentless Podcast. Catch you guys later. And that's the last you saw of them. You got it? Got it.